Um, actually, for those of you who are already here, uh, after we sit um, to start off the evening, I'm going to respond to a question that I actually got a couple weeks ago from a person in our group who um, I hope she's here tonight. If not, she can at least listen to the recording. Um, who uh, asked about um, the relationship between Buddhism and Christianity. She's part of a congregational church, and I think she's um, having some internal doubts or questions about the connections between Christianity and Buddhism that were triggered by some um, some discussions in a, in her in her congregation. Um, I, I've since learned that um, this question uh, resonates with other people who are in the group. Um, who are in a different church and are themselves in different ways struggling with their relationship to their congregations. Um, and they are also longtime you know, um, members of this group. Uh, I should add that the person who wrote the question I'm gonna to read tonight isn't, uh, I believe, I, at least I believe it's not a Williamstown resident. So uh, you shouldn't assume that this is about the first congregational church here in town. Um, so, um, but, you know, if things go like like last week, my answer to this one question may very well take up the entire evening. I don't know. I'll just I I'll see how it goes, right? How the spirit moves me, so to speak. Um, but um, if you have a question of your own that you'd like to ask tonight, um, have it ready. You know, because there may be time. Though I will also add that I want to leave space for people who are um, are themselves struggling with this. Um, in different ways with the connection between Christianity and Buddhism to just share their own responses, both to the question and to whatever I might end up saying in response to it. Um, I get the sense that people are sort of like going through stuff and it might be nice to have some space for, um, for those people to, to share, ask further questions, offer their own reflections. So um, there'll be time for that. I just want you to know, I'm not gonna move from like one question just to another, you know. Um, okay, so it's great to see you all. Good evening. Um, let's begin with a um, guided meditation that should take us to about eight o'clock. Um, so 25 minutes. It will mostly be dual awareness practice, um, awareness of sounds and breath. Um, and if you don't know what that means, don't worry. Uh, just follow along. Um, the last five or 10 minutes possibly of the sitting, um, we're gonna do a bit of loving kindness practice. And I've led loving kindness practice in different ways, sometimes with um, a set of three or four different lines that we use. Tonight, I'm actually gonna go for um, a very simple version one line version of the practice, extending loving kindness to myself exactly as I am right now. So it will just be that one line that will repeat and then we'll direct it to someone else. Um, a second, you know, in the second person, may you and then may extending um, loving kindness to all beings exactly as they are. We'll end with that traditional final round um, directing loving kindness to, to all beings. But just want to give you a heads up that it will just be a one line version tonight. Um, but no need to remember that now. It's just, um, we'll get to it when we get to it. Okay. So please get into a comfortable position for about 25 minutes of sitting meditation. A posture that is Alert, but relaxed. In which your breath can move freely. And to ease into this sitting, let's begin by taking a few deep, slow breaths, breathing in slowly and fully through your nose. 
and exhaling nice and slow through your slightly open mouth. Breathing deeply, slowly in through the nose. Feel your entire torso fill up with air and let it all out slowly through your slightly open mouth. And please just take three or four deep breaths in this way on your own. And as you inhale, feel your back lengthen. You might imagine your head and neck floating up. Some people like to imagine a string running from the base of their spine to the ceiling, feeling it tugging ever so gently on that string as you inhale. And then feel your body just drop, supported by your upright spine as you exhale. And just take one more final deep in-breath and out-breath in this way. And now let your mouth come to a close and start breathing in and out through your nose. And now let your breath come and go at its own rhythm, no longer artificially extending the in-breath or out-breath. And the breath might be short, shallow, long, slow, or even erratic. There's no right way to breathe. Just let the breath breathe itself. So before we begin following the breath itself, please begin by just opening yourself up to all of the sounds that you can hear in the space around you. So we're not listening for particular sounds, we're not trying to identify or label sounds. Just listening in an open and receptive way, letting anything and everything that can be heard in the space around us just be part of our awareness. You might notice how when thoughts pull you away from this kind of hearing, you stop hearing as much of what's going on around you. It's an interesting way to check on how present you are. Are you hearing everything around you? Or are your thoughts acting as a kind of filter or screen, reducing how open you are? your auditory environment. And when thoughts pull you away, distract you, just notice what kind of thought has pulled you away. 
then gently and without judgment, return to the sounds around you. And now while you continue listening in this way, let your awareness also begin to attend to the sensations of your breath. You can follow the breath in your nose or in your chest or in your belly, whichever feels most natural for you. The rise and fall of the belly, the rise and fall of the chest, or the sensations of the breath in your nostrils. If you can try to hold breath and sounds in awareness simultaneously. If it's difficult to do this, feel free to move back and forth between breath and sounds. But once in a while, try to hold both in awareness at the same time. And with practice, over time, you'll be able to but it's okay if for now you just move back and forth.
Whatever thoughts pull you away, just note the content of the thought that has grabbed your attention. And then gently return to sounds and breath. You'll have to do this over and over again. There's absolutely nothing wrong with thinking. There's nothing wrong with being pulled away. Just notice each time it happens and come back to the anchors of breath and sound. If you're finding it relatively easy to be aware of breath and sounds simultaneously, try adding a third anchor, feeling the sensations in your hands while you continue to listen to sounds around you and to follow your breath. Hands, breath, and sounds. If two anchors or even just one feels like enough for you at the present moment, then just stay with one or two. But if you're handling two well, then try adding a third.
So we're going to start transitioning into a few minutes of loving kindness practice. And to do that, please bring your awareness to the center of your chest, your breastbone area, and feel the sensations produced there in the center of your chest by your breath as your chest rises and falls. Just feel what sensations there are there as you breathe in and out. And now begin even to visualize your breath being drawn in directly through the center of your chest, as if you can breathe in through an entrance there. Feel the breath moving in through the heart space and out through the heart space. For some of you, the center of the chest will feel tight and hard. For others, open, warm. For others, raw and tender. There is no right way for it to feel. Just feel what it's like as it is. Now, as you Breathe in and out through the center of the chest in this way, visualizing the breath moving in and out. Please bring to mind someone for whom you have very warm, positive feelings. Someone whom you care about and who has been there for you, supported you, loved you. You might even Imagine, picture, drawing the image of this person into the center of your chest as you breathe in and out. Just feel their presence. And you may notice that bring this person to mind affects how the center of your chest, your heart space feels. And just notice that. Now for this first round of loving kindness, let's take ourselves as the object of this practice directing these feelings toward ourselves. And so please on the exhalation, silently repeat the following line to yourself. Extending loving kindness to myself, exactly as I am right now. And we'll do this for a few minutes as you breathe in through the heart space and exhale saying extending loving kindness to myself exactly as I am right now. Some of you may feel able to genuinely extend loving kindness to yourself exactly as you are right now. But some of you may feel unable to, may even feel the heart clench up against this intention. And if you don't feel any natural loving kindness for yourself, that is how you are right now. 
So please try to extend a bit of compassion and kindness to yourself in your closed heartedness. This isn't about forcing ourselves to feel a certain way. The heart can't be forced after all, but truly trying to accept and send warmth to ourselves as we are, however we are. Extending loving kindness to myself, exactly as I am right now. For the second phase of this practice, please bring to mind someone for whom you have very warm and positive feelings. It could be the person you brought to mind originally when we began this session or someone else. Bring their image to mind. And as you breathe in and out through the heart space, Repeat the following line silently to yourself, extending loving kindness to you exactly as you are. And as you say this line, remember to keep your awareness on the physical sensations of the breath in the center of the chest. Feel the breath as you extend loving kindness. And then now for this final phase of the loving kindness practice, just in whatever way feels natural or doable for you, imagine extending this wish, this sense of loving kindness to all beings. If that seems like too much to imagine doing, you might just take the people who are on the Zoom call with you right now in this group or some slightly smaller group of people who you'd like to extend loving kindness to. But if you can imagine extending loving kindness to all beings, however they are, please try that. Extending loving kindness to all beings exactly as they are.
And for the last minute of this sitting together, just let your awareness rest, the sensations of the breath in the center of the chest. No longer repeating any lines, just being, just feeling the breath. Okay, everyone, that's great for tonight. Thank you. Before I turn to the question on the table, does anyone have any questions about this practice um, that we just did? or anything that anyone just like to share about the practice, experience of the practice. Okay. Um, you can always say something later if you are so moved. So um, I wanna read um, the, the, the email question that came to me. Um, and of course, I'll keep the, um, the person who's asking this question anonymous. But um, I wanna say before I begin that I, um, I'm tackling this question with a bit of trepidation. Um, you know, I think talking about the relationship between these two big categories, you know, Buddhism and Christianity is not something I would ever consider doing on my own. And I only am um, doing this because I feel like the question is a heartfelt one. I also want to say, as I've said, you know, um, like a week ago when I thought I was going to address this question for the first time, that um, you know, I'm not approaching this as a theological issue or intellectual or theoretical issue. I'm approaching this as a practice question. You know, how how can we practice with um, some inner difficulties we have about a relationship to two different kinds of traditions, right? Um, uh, so um, this is so. This email came to me two weeks ago um, after I had addressed in class um, the question about you know how this this person asked how do I respond to people who are telling me that somehow I've changed and I think implicitly in ways that they don't approve of because. Um, because of my meditation practice, you know, uh, some some person who's been coming to the group for a while experienced some judgmental remarks from friends and family members who said, you know, this isn't you, you know, what, what's going on with you, you know, um, and uh, as as those of you who were there that evening will remember, you know, I didn't answer that question, I didn't tell her how to respond. Um, I said, you know, instead, how do you, how might you practice with the the kinds of thoughts and feelings that are coming up? because people are, are speaking to you in this way, you know? Um, and uh, so, um, so anyway, that hearing that question, this person who wrote this email I'm about to read, um, sort of translate into her own experience. Um, uh, and I'll just, I'll just, so I just want to give a little context, okay. So, um, Bernie, thanks for a thought-provoking session last night. The email question you read about what to say for those who thought something was wrong with them because they'd become involved in meditation had me awake in the middle of the night, sorting out my own questions. The congregational centered prayer group I'd been in a few years ago read Thich Nhat Hanh's Living Buddha, Living Christ. I have been giving a lot of thought to Thich Nhat Hanh's book and life this week, of course, this is the week where he had passed away. I plan to reread the book and have been reading his thoughts on death this morning, especially in relation to his mother's death. 
These are beautiful remarks. I'm not going to read them tonight, but I'll include the link to these remarks in next week's email because they're, they're well worth reading. They're from his book, No Death, No Fear. The new congregational minister two years ago had a partner who was involved with Buddhism for a time, but returned to Christianity. Our group was divided on whether to read Living Christ, some wanting to adhere to our former minister's centered prayer philosophy of breathing God's love in and out as opposed to Zen breathing, to reading Merton's seven-story mountain rather than Living Buddha, Living Christ. I know that Thich Nhat Hanh's book addresses the acceptance of Jesus and Christ, but I'm wondering how you would answer the question of whether the practice of Buddhism excludes Jesus and Christianity. Not that this was what the writer of the email was addressing, but I gave some thought as to what changes others found objectionable. Big questions. Thanks for any answers. Um, and then, you know, since then, I received a couple of emails from other people in the group who, as I said, were struggling with their own kind of um, ambivalence um, about uh, Christian theology in a congregational church setting. And um, so um, it's the part where she said, I had me awake in the middle of the night, sorting out my own questions that um, motivated me to answer this against my um, better judgment. <laughs> so, you know, this is going to be, I'll just say right off the bat, completely inadequate. And just the kind of uh, like a beginning of a, of a response that I hope helps this person sort through in her own way, you know, what it is that she's going through, because I respect the struggle. I mean, I, I, these are, these are big questions, but also really good questions. So, um, and actually, I took the occasion of this question to um, pick up Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Living Buddha, Living Christ, which I recommend to anyone, you know, whether you have a Christian background or not, it's really a beautiful book. Um, but actually, uh, what I hadn't, I think I looked at it years ago, but I, um, I don't think I really picked up on the fact that, um, that the foreword to the book was written by a guy named Brother David Stendelrast. Um, and then there's a wonderful introduction by uh, a Catholic, um, well, I don't know if she's Catholic, she's a Christian uh, scholar and practitioner in Elaine Pagels um, in the Department of Religious Studies at Princeton University. Um, so we have two like incredible Christian thinkers writing the introduction to Thich Nhat Hanh's book. And I realized like reading through those that the answers to so many of these, well, I don't know the answers, but pointers, let me put it this way, to the answers to the, the questions this person is asking are already contained, I think, in, in those two short introductory texts. And so um, I, I actually um, want to begin just by reading something that um, Brother David says in his foreword. Uh, I had the good fortune of meeting Brother David when I was living at the Snow Mountain Zen Center years ago. Um, he's a uh, a member of the order of um, St. Benedict, a Benedictine monk. He was, um, he was a protege of um, Thomas Merton, deeply influenced by him, and followed Merton uh, in becoming deeply fascinated with um, uh, Eastern religions, especially Zen Buddhism. You know, so already there is, I think, a, a hint to, you know, uh, one way to alleviate anxiety here, you know, um, permitting these words, was that, you know, it's interesting they would read Thomas Merton in, rather than Thich Nhat Hanh, when Merton himself was a good friend of Thich Nhat Hanh and, um, and profoundly influenced by Buddhism. I mean, um, and so, um, but, you know, so Brother David um, came through Snow Mountain Zen Center and I had the chance to sit Zazen with him. Um, and then we washed dishes side by side and had a little chat. And at this, um, he was on his way to Tassajara, I think, to do a sashim. Um, and, um, and around that time, the person who eventually became Pope Benedict, at that time he was known as Cardinal Ratzinger. He's in the news for not very good reasons these days. <laughs> um, child sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church and all that. But anyway, um, but uh, but he was um, head of 
the branch of the Vatican that um, kind of oversaw orthodoxy, like what was going to be like official church doctrine, you know. Um, and they had just released a um, pronouncement encouraging all good Catholics around the world to not practice yoga, to not meditate, and to not do all these things because, you know, they would lead people away from the true faith. Um, and, you know, I was talking with Brother David about this, and he said, you know, the fact they did this shows that they feel like they've already lost. It's a sign that they've already lost in a certain way. They're trying to hold down the line. Um, and, um, and so this is what Brother David says in um, his introduction or forward to Living Buddha, Living Christ. We Christians have no monopoly on the Holy Spirit. All those who are led by the Spirit of God are daughters and sons of God. This is a quotation from Romans 8.14. No wonder then that a Buddhist who is not afraid of the pain it brings to be truly alive, birth pain, growing pain, should recognize the Holy Spirit as the ultimate source of all aliveness. Quote, the Spirit blows where she wills, end quote, from John 3.8. And no wonder that alive Christians recognize their sisters and brothers in the Holy Spirit anywhere. Tiknahan is my brother, wrote Thomas Merton. We are both monks and, and we're both poets. Wait, sorry, and we have lived the monastic life about the same number of years. We are both poets, both existentialists. I have far more in common with Nathan than I have with many Americans. That was written when the two peacemakers confronted together the catastrophe of the Vietnam War. It was at that time that I myself had the privilege of meeting Thich Nhat Hanh, known to friends and students as Thai or teacher, and I recognized in him a brother in the spirit. I also remember very vividly something that uh, Brother David said um, when he was visiting Snow Mountain, which is that, like, he, I think he was actually recalling these words of Thomas Merton, and he said something like, I actually feel like I have more in common with the monastics of all the other great traditions than I have even with the lay people in my own. Um, and I think it's something about the, the depth of spiritual practice that monastics engage in. And they, they know that across all the superficial differences in theology and doctrine, that there is this deep commonality in engagement with the true spirit, right? Whatever, whatever word or name it goes under. Um, and so, um, so I think I just want to, you know, begin with that, um, because I think it's, there is, um, what I'm sensing is a certain kind of exclusiveness that this person is sensing among their, their fellow congre congregational me members, you know, like, is it okay, you know, to, to incorporate meditation practice, Buddhist practice, Zen practice, right? Um, is it actually compatible with, with Christianity? And I, I think like, Brother David, Thomas Burton, along with so many others, have clearly felt it to not only be compatible, but deeply mutually enriching. Um, so um, not taken as a as a theoretical question, but as a as a thing that people have experienced the truth of. I think I just wanted to put that out there. Um, I think though that there is an, I, you know, it's, it's interesting that this email asks like, does, um, how does it put it? Uh, how would you answer the question of whether the practice of Buddhism excludes Jesus and Christianity? I don't think it does at all, but it, I think in some church circles, the opposite may sometimes be an issue, right? Whether or not Christians always feel that there's room that like, the thing that Cardinal Ratzinger helped write about Buddhist, I mean, Christian Catholics shouldn't practice yoga and um, and uh, meditation is an example of a certain kind of anxiety. I think that some Christians have felt about whether or not you know there is really any path to God that doesn't go through Christ. You know, um, and uh, in Elaine Pagel's introduction to Thich Nhat Hanh's book, she quotes a statement written by John Paul II, who was the Pope, right, when Ratzinger um, was a cardinal underneath him. And in his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, Pope John Paul says this, Christ is absolutely original and absolutely unique. 
if he were only a wise man like Socrates, if he were a prophet like Muhammad, if he were enlightened like Buddha, without any doubt he would not be what he is. He is the one mediator between God and humanity. Um, and in the New Testament Gospel of John, we uh, see the phrase, the one and only begotten Son of God. So there has been a, a kind of exclusiveness from the other side, anxiety about you know, whether other religions really you know, can be recognized as providing legitimate paths to the truth. But Pagels, in her introduction, points to the Gnostic Gospels, which were, you know, um, not considered canonical texts by Christians, but which voice a very different and not exclusive at all attitude towards spirituality. And this may be one of the reasons why they actually were sort of exiled from the canon. Um, and I just want to, I think, end this, this semi-theoretical part of my remarks with um, a quotation that she offers from, you know, they call the Gnostic Gospels. There's also it's a, it's a set of um, ancient religious texts that were found buried somewhere in Egypt and near the town of Nag Hammadi. Um, and it has the Gospel of Thomas, which didn't end up in the New Testament, has other texts like this one, the teaching of Silvanus. And it has a very, very different tone from the words I just read of Pope John Paul. So this is a very brief quotation from the teaching of Silvanus. And actually, this is not just for the Christians out there. I think of this as like um, a very Zen kind of teaching, you know. So this is actually for everyone. Knock upon yourself as upon a door and walk upon yourself as on a straight road. For if you walk on that path, you cannot go astray. And when you knock on that door, what you open for yourself shall open. So instead of asking us to have faith in this one and only true mediator between us and true spirituality. It's saying, look within, right? Knock on your own door, walk upon yourself as on a straight road, right? Um, for if you walk on that path, you cannot go astray. And you walk on, knock on the door of yourself, what you open for yourself shall open. Um, there's also this brief quote that Elaine Pagels offers from the, the Gospel of Thomas. This is the, um, the last quotation I'll read. And this is some, says something very different from the Gospel of John that says, Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus said, and this is the Gospel of Thomas, if those who lead you say to you, look, the kingdom is in the sky, then the birds of the sky will get there first. If they say is in the sea, then the fish will get there first. Rather, the kingdom is inside of you and it is outside of you. When you come to know yourselves, then you will become known and you will realize it is you who are the children of the living father. But if you will not know yourselves, then you dwell in poverty. And it is you who are that poverty. Again, not an encouragement to just have faith in someone else, but to go within and to realize that it's not that the one and only Son of God is over there, but that it is we who are the children of the living spirit. Right? And um, so I have no interest in taking size and, and, and Christian theological disputes. I just wanted that Christianity itself as a tradition offers many different perspectives on the questions. And I think that actually taking the, the advice of the Gnostic Gospels to heart, we have to find our own way. So to the person, to all the people in this group who are struggling with these kinds of questions, I feel like what these Christian texts 
suggests, and I think what Zen practice suggests, is that we must look within. Um, what, who is going to settle the issue for us from the outside? What authority figure, right? Um, and I think that, you know, the famous, you know, the Buddha's famous words uh, on his deathbed to his disciples, you know, be lamps unto yourselves. You know, it's like we go to events like this to get some advice from other people who happen to have meditated um, for a bit longer than we have. Um, it's, it's, it's good to hear um, what people have cited farther down along the path, you know. But anytime we put someone else on a pedestal and say, I need that person to tell me what to do, what the truth is about the situation. I think we've already begun to lose our way. And so in this case, these struggles that this person and other people in the group are having with their churches, the doctrines their churches are asking them to believe, I think this is where the, the tools of Zen labeling our thoughts, noting them, noting how they feel in the body, breathing in and out of the heart, I think will serve us, serve all of us well. Um, and even, to, even I think to pause when we feel the impulse to want someone else, some text, some authority figure to settle the question for us. So this is one very, very long non-answer. You know, it's, 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 a, it's basically just, I think, I hope, a way of not answering the question that does justice to the question, right? It's a way of saying, I hear the depth of the worry that will keep you up at night, but there is no way that anyone could answer this kind of question except you for yourself, right? Um, and I think that these practices and, and tools that we're getting in a setting like this can help us with that. Um, but that's it. I think that's all I can really say. So um, does anyone want to add anything else, another more questioning, or their own perspectives on these issues, perhaps from your own personal experience struggling with different faith traditions? Um, Um, I'll offer something is that I'm also Catholic or grew up Catholic and I've always been pretty um, confused and unclear. Like I get God and Jesus, but who the heck is the Holy spirit? What is that? It never clicked until recently I started reading about Buddhism and other topics and the concept of like universal consciousness or just the shared consciousness that we may or may not have as a, as beings and tying those two concepts together, like made the Catholic teaching come to life for me. And I think approaching your faith tradition in whatever way speaks to you, that's what you should be doing. Like mm -hmm. if it's, if you're drawn to an interpretation or a community that resonates with you, that seems to me to be a positive thing. Mm -hmm not to give advice, but, um, hmm. otherwise, like if, if a faith tradition is not resonating or feeling true to you, then is it really serving you? Trish, you should definitely read Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Living Buddha, Living Christ. I, it's on yeah. my, on my list. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Bernie, forgive me if you already mentioned it, but I'm going to put that, uh, Christian Buddhist retreat through the Providence Zen Center in the chat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a yeah, check out this link. It's to a, a, a retreat at the um, Providence Zen Center. Um, and it's being led by um, a Roshi, uh, a Zen teacher who is also a member, I think, of the Order of St. Benedict, actually. Um, he's a Catholic monastic. Um, when I read that book, I don't know if you can hear me. Mm hmm. Hi, yeah, I read the Thich Nhat Hanh's book, uh, similar to the first person that spoke, 
I really got a sense of what the Holy Spirit can be um, as somebody who occasionally goes to a Christian church. Um, that, yeah, one, that there's so much ritual and routine in a church service. And I think what I've always been attracted to at meditation centers and in this practice is that you can step into that space, mm. you know, where there's not all these routines. Mm. Um, and Tignot Han really helped me see that, that, that the Holy Spirit is in, in, in the, in between times mm. and helped kind of give me a language too. when I'm, um, working with religious people as a therapist, as a way of connecting, helping them connect with more answers during troubled times. Because mm -hmm. I think there's, an, and, I, and I have felt this too, an automatic pleading with God, wanting answers, um, but not, I was not taught a lot to live in the spaces that are available and that um, in connecting with the Holy Spirit. So I thought it was ironic that Thich Nhat Hanh was the one that taught me about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he spoke about it in a language that I could understand because mm. I had a long history of meditating. So. Actually, there's another great person who bridged the divide between Christianity, not divide, the bridge these two traditions, Christianity and Buddhism, Bell Hooks, you know, who actually meditated um, in order, she said, to be a better Christian. You know, like she had, to, she had learned ideas about Christianity in church, but she felt like the Buddhist practices were what are actually enabled her to like see them come to life, you know, in her own life. So, um, so anyway, there's a, yeah. That's wonderful, Sinor. Thank you for sharing that. Well, it's eight thirty-one. It's um. It's obviously a topic that was too much for one evening, but, um, and I don't know how the person who uh, asked this question feels at all about what I said, but I hope it um, it was at least of a little bit use of use. Um, thank you all for being here tonight. Could we, could we sit for one minute in silence before we conclude the evening rather than ending with talk? I would like that very much. So thank you. So just for one minute. All right, my friends, wonderful to see you all. Have a wonderful evening. Good night. Thank you so much, Bernie. Have a really good week. Mm. Good night.